Good morning, Brooke family. If you could return to your seats. One of the signs of a healthy church is when God's people like to spend time together. And so I'm encouraged that every week it is a challenge to get you back to your seats after, after uh, greeting one another. My name is Jeremy. Also, Tony said, oh, I thought it was the other Jeremy speaking today, but he'll be okay. Uh, it is my privilege to, to be here and to speak to you and to share with you from God's Word. Anytime that I'm able to open the Word and to share, it's, a, um, it's hard to explain the experience. It's a, a humbling experience. It's also a very uh, gr- gratifying in the sense that you get to search through the Scriptures and to share those nuggets out. But at the same time, it's very daunting because this is God's Word. You know, who am I to share God's Word? But the great news is that the Holy Spirit is the one that does the speaking, not Jeremy Riggs and um, not the other Jeremy, right? The Holy Spirit is the one that does the speaking. So it is, it is good to be here this morning. I want to go ahead and ask you to turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah. It's in the Old Testament. It's about this far in, I don't know, two-third of the way in. Nehemiah will be in chapter 1. If somebody's there in a Bible that's in the pew, could you tell us the page number? 398. Chapter 1, yes, ma'am. So there was a... um, First of all, I just want to say that the things that God's been doing already in the service just been very interesting because um, even the passage that Tony used for the welcome this morning about that, you know, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. All your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. And then we have the video about you can find God's will in your life, right? And then we have these ladies... Uh, talking about that, and Erica's talking about Pastor Eric's experience in Liberia about the very same things. And so this morning, we're going to look at how you can find your place in God's plan. How you can find your place in God's plan. There was a Super Bowl commercial this past year with Melissa McCarthy. I don't know if you saw it. It's been on a lot since. And she's in her car, and some magical voice in her car says, Melissa, the whales need saving. You guys seen this commercial? Okay. And she goes out, and she's riding this jet ski, and the whale comes and knocks her into the boat, and, you know, then she's back in her car, and now it's the trees need saving. And so she's hugging a tree with a sign that says, save the trees, and what happens? Somebody cuts the tree, and there she goes. She's back in her car again. And this time it's the ice caps that need saving. And she stakes a sign in it, and they're so warm that the cracks and it melts and she falls through. And then the rhinos, and so on, and so on. Another commercial that I recently saw, and it has this guy sitting on a train, and he sees this, like, poster for, like, this puppy shelter or something. I don't know if you've seen this one. 
And he's like, he's sitting there all sad, and then he looks down next to him on the train, and there's a puppy sitting there. I'm like, well, that's weird. And so then he sees, like, all these different causes, all these different people that need something, and next thing you know, they're all following him. They're all following him. And so he goes in to the Salvation Army or something. uh, What is it? The YMCA. He goes into the YMCA, and all those things disappear. And that commercial is actually advocating, if you want to feel better about not doing something, go to the YMCA and help. Isn't that interesting? Like, don't do it because they need help. Do it so you'll feel better about yourself. Um, Whichever commercial, it gives uh, people a sense of purpose to help a cause. People are looking for a purpose in their life. Christians are the same way. We want to help. What can I do? Can I help with this cause? Can I help over here? And we got a lot of stuff going on here in the summer, and all those things are good. And we know that God has work He wants us to do. He does. And we want to help. But what does that look like? What does it look like to find out where God wants you and to actually get in there and help with His plan of redemption? What does it look like to find God's will in your life? I was in a church once when I was in college a few years back, and I was traveling with uh, the college, and we were singing in churches and going to church different, a different church every day and all those things. And I was in Sunday school, um, which is like a service before the service in the South, okay? It's like you meet, and then you, and then you meet again. It's, just, it's the South. Don't ask. And so then... I was in there, and I was in the class with the teens, and I was sharing about how you can find God's will in your life. And the Sunday school teacher stopped me and said, I don't believe it. You can't find God's will in your life. You just go, you just do what you're supposed to do every day and go on. Well, I was like 17. I didn't know. Like, I wasn't going to, like, push back on this guy. But I've always thought about that. And he was dead wrong. You can know what you're supposed to do. You can know God's will for your life. You can know it in the mundane things. Guys, there's certain things you don't have to pray about. You don't have to pray, should I go to church today? Right? You don't have to pray, should I give to the church so God's work can be uh, sent forth? You don't have to pray, you know, should I read my Bible? There are some things that you can know without a doubt is God's will in your life. But what we really are thinking about when we think about God's will is we think about like vocation or like mission. What is God's will for my life? And I want to share some steps today from the book of Nehemiah that I have used in my life over the years to help me find God's will in my life. It's not a... uh, It might not be as clear and as like, I do one, two, three, four. But I can promise you, if you do the things that Nehemiah did, you will be on the path to find what God wants you to do. So, let's start with what does God's plan for redemption even look like? Because if you don't know what God's plan for redemption is, then you're not going to have any idea how you can join in on that plan. Because finding God's plan for my life is not about me. Finding God's plan for my life is about how can I serve Him? How can I serve Him? So God's plan for redemption 
is this. All of us are broken. All of us have sin in our life. We were born that way. We were born that way. If you don't believe me, then you haven't spent very much time around a baby recently because they only think about themselves. Right? They don't care about you. Not really. Not yet. Right? They only know that you're the one that changes them and feeds them, and that's basically it. Right? But God's plan is that He saw us as broken, as sinful people. And He said, you know what? I want a relationship with those, with those people, right? I want a relationship with them. But the thing is, they need to be righteous to be with me. Because God is completely righteous and completely holy. And in Him is no sin at all. And so people that even have sin can't even be with Him. And so Jesus, God's Son, said, I got you, fam. I'm coming down. I'm going to deliver you from your sin. I'm going to live a perfect life on this earth. Right? I'm going to die the sinner's death because the penalty for sin is death, separation from God. Jesus experienced that. And then he defeated death and rose from the dead. And he offers us the gift of salvation through his son. Through Jesus, we can receive the gift of salvation. That is God's plan to redeem us to himself. And so when you think about your, your life and your plans, if you're a believer, then you want to put those in line with God's plan of redemption. You want to put those in line with God's plan of redemption. And if you're not a believer, if you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior, all of your plans are going to be fruitless. They are. Jim Carrey is famous for once saying, I wish everybody could be as rich as me so they could see that this is not the answer. Right? So anything you're doing apart from Christ, it might, you might have the next step and the next promotion in this house and this whatever, but you're not going to have fulfillment because it's not in Christ. Any cause, any purpose, save the trees, save the whales, all those things have some merit, but without Christ, without Christ, you're not going to fulfill that sense of purpose. Okay? So that's God's plan for redemption. So we're going to look at Nehemiah. Nehemiah is this guy that decided um, he was living in outside of the city of Jerusalem. Let me give you some background. So the Babylonians conquered and destroyed Jerusalem a long time ago. They destroyed it. They sacked it. They took everything. They plundered everything. Just completely destroyed it. And the wall that was around it, they destroyed it. The wall that was made for protection, gone. So it's been 70, and for 70 years, Jerusalem was a ghost town. Nobody was there. The Jerusalem people were deported to Babylon. They were scattered out. And after they'd lived there for 70 years, they were told, hey, you can come back. Well, think about 70 years. That's a whole generation of people. They've, they've uh, put roots down now. They don't necessarily want to go back. So out of about 2 or 3 million, only 50,000 actually went back. There's still no wall. There's still no protection. And we see in the book of Ezra, which is right before this book, um, that people start returning and Ezra leads them and they start laying the spiritual foundation back for Jerusalem. 
They even tried to rebuild the wall at that time, but bribery from the politicians of that day prevented it from happening. So if you thought Chicago was the first, first city to deal with that, this was happening in Jerusalem a long time ago. So by now, by the time of the, the, that Ezra ends, now we're in the book of Nehemiah, by now it's been about 150 years since Jerusalem has been ransacked. 150 years. So we're talking probably three generations. So I heard about Jerusalem from my grandpa kind of thing. Okay? So let's read chapter 1, and we'll read verses 1 and the first part of verse 4. The words of Nehemiah, the son son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, I'll go over that in a minute. In the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, and I, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and mourned for days. Guys, when you want to find your place in God's plan, the first thing you have to do is you have to care about the things that God cares about. If you're ready to find your place in God's plan, you have to care about what God cares about. Nehemiah was troubled that the wall of Jerusalem was down and the gates were destroyed, but why? It's because it means it meant the inhabitants were still in danger. They never knew when they may be attacked again. The men lived in constant fear of what would happen to their wives and children. And not only was it just danger, but we see that it was shame. It was a great reproach to live in a city that didn't have a wall. That didn't have a wall. It was a mark of disgrace. Nehemiah did not care so much about this wall because he, had, he cared about a wall. It was because he cared about God's people. Okay? His anguish was not over the relic, some historical relic. His anguish was because he wanted the people to be protected. People of God were in danger living as survivors. And the wall was an important piece in Jerusalem to protect them, to take care of them. Let me just pause right there and say, don't get so busy with the things of God, like building a wall to protect God's people, that you forget about the people of God. It is really easy. If you're serving in the church, with the church, it's really easy to serve, 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 and neglect your time with God. And if you're doing that, you need to say no to some of the things you're serving. If you're on 15 different teams here, you might need to rethink that. Honestly. So what real-life situations are going on right now that God cares about? All right, we see, we see what Nehemiah was going on. Uh, we live in a day and age where people on, um, not you guys, everybody else, when people on Facebook and Twitter, they are outraged about everything. It's none of you. It's everybody else. All my other Facebook friends. 
Because what better place to tell people that we're mad than social media, right? And there's only one level of mad on social media, and it's a tent. People are just as mad when you compare LeBron to Jordan as they are when Christians are killed. They are. I have some friends in Nashville, and they're going crazy about the Predators. Crazy. Like, like I'm almost sending private messages like, you know you have a reputation, right? Because our, we need to care about the things God cares about. I mean, the thing with social media is give it 48 hours. Then everybody will be mad about something else. So how do we know what God cares about, really? By getting in His Word. When you get in His Word, you will start to understand the character of God, who He is. And when you understand, begin to understand, because you're never going to get there fully. When you understand who He is, then you can understand what He cares about. Right? And from this passage... We see something about God. We see that He wants us to care for His people. Nehemiah cared for the people of God. And we have other verses to back that up as well. Hebrews 13.3 tells us to remember our brothers and sisters who are in prison or are mistreated. Galatians 6.2 tells us to bear one another's burdens. And 1 Corinthians 12 tells us that we are one body, and if one member suffers, we all suffer. And if one member is honored, we should all rejoice. So looking at this passage, I know that at least one thing that God cares about is that we should be caring for each other. Okay? So if I can jump on board with somebody else that's caring for God's people, that can be God's will for my life. That can be God's will for my life. Hmm. So the first thing. We have to know, we have to care about what God cares about. We have to care about what God cares about. Second, the second step to find your place in God's plan is by prayer and fasting. Verse 4, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. What Nehemiah did not do, he did not complain about it. Also, what he didn't do, he didn't wonder, how come somebody else isn't doing something about this wall? Somebody else should be out there. How come they're not over there building that wall? No. No, he prayed for it. And I won't read, for sake of time, I won't read the prayer. But in verse 5, he acknowledged who God is. In verse 6 and 7, he confessed his sin and the sins of his people. In verse 8, he acknowledged and implored God to remember his promises And in verse 11, he asked the work to be successful. That's a good... uh, You look at verse 5 through 11, the next time you want to pray about something that needs to get done in your life. That's a good pattern. That's a good pattern. No, he prayed and fasted for many days. How long? Well, we see in verse 2 that it was a different... It tells us the different month. So from the time he heard... I'm sorry, in chapter 2, it was a different month. From the time he heard about this, 
till the time he acted on it was about four months. So he spent four months in this mode of prayer and fasting. I'm not sure he did it every day, but it says he did it for several days, and we know how long it was before he brought it before the king. So let me just say this. I think we have a watered-down version of fasting compared to what the Bible talks about. Okay? Fasting is going without something you need. Need. Not, not like. Okay? Going without something you need so you can realize that God is the only one you need. Okay? Fasting is going without something you need so you can realize that God is the one that you need. And food is a great way to do that. You need food. Maybe not as much as we intake, but you need it. Right? And so when you go without it, when you go without it, it points you to God. Just like, man, I need food. You're like, wait, no, I need God. Right? The, when the rumble in your stomach comes, when you get weak, uh, if, you have, if you've fasted and you haven't got to the point where you're weak, then you, you didn't go long enough, okay? Didn't go long enough. When you fast and you understand, I don't have it. This is not about me. Then you can look to God. You can look to God. Here's the thing. I understand that there's some health concerns that maybe people can't fast. I get that. But if we're honest with ourselves, the number one reason we don't fast is because we don't want to. I'll just leave that there. Some of you know me well enough that you know I'm just going to say what I need to say. And those of you that know me well enough know that it's in love. See, when you fast, your body will be hungry, but your spirit will be healthy. When you fast, your body will be empty, but your spirit will be full. And when you fast, your body will be tired, but your spirit will be refreshed. So Nehemiah fasted and prayed. One commentator I read said that God was going to do something with Nehemiah, but first he had to do something in Nehemiah. Guys, if you want God to do something with you, you have to let him do something in you first. So first step is we need to care about what he cares about. Second, we need to respond by prayer and fasting. And the third step is to use the position that God has given you already. We see from the beginning that Nehemiah had a place of position. In chapter 1-1, we see he is living in Susa, which is the capital city of Persia. And he was also living in the citadel, which is the palace. So he's living in the capital city in the palace. He's got some pool. And then the last sentence in chapter 1 says, I was cupbearer to the king. Here's what that is. He was basically the king's bodyguard. So any food or wine that came before the king, he was going to try it out first before, to make sure that it wasn't going to harm the king, to make sure it wasn't poison. What an incredible job, right? Like, unbelievable. Like, you might be killed, like, every time you put something in your mouth. But part of what the cupbearer did is he actually chose the food and wine for the king. Just think about it. If you're like trying all this stuff that people are bringing in, you're like, forget this. I'm just going to pick it out, right? 
So he's taking care of the king. He's taking care of the king. He has some pull. He's trusted. He sees him on a daily basis. And here's what he does. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the reason for that, guys, because if you went to the king and you were frowning, he would just kill you. So he was never sad in front of the king. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? So he brings his request to the king. This is a big step. This is a step of faith. You guys, some of you guys, I know that you've taken that step of faith in what God wants you to do in your life. He takes a step of faith. And what does the king say? He says, so what do you need? That's what he says. What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, I just picture him like down, right? If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my fathers, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, with the queen sitting beside him, Okay, so how long are you going to be gone? And when will you return? He doesn't say, let me think about it. He doesn't say no. He said, tell me when you're going to be back. So what does Nehemiah do? (laughs) Nehemiah's like, okay. So also, can I have all the materials I'll need to rebuild the wall? So it's like he took one step and the king's like, sure. And he's like, all right, I need all this stuff to rebuild a wall. And I need letters of protection from you, king. And he's like, here you go. Gives it to him. Nehemiah used his position for God's will. Some of you guys have a position that you can use for God's kingdom. Guess what? You all do. Because your position is not about going before the king necessarily. It's about the people that you know, that you talk to every day that need the gospel. So don't think, oh, I'm not Nehemiah. I don't, go, I don't go before the mayor, right? I don't have that kind of, I don't know people, right? But you do. You speak to people every day that need the gospel. Mm. So we see Nehemiah planning. And then we see what Nehemiah does. Skip to verse 17. The last step that Nehemiah takes is he asks people to join him. He asks people to join him in verse 17. He said, you, he calls all these, he's in Jerusalem now. He scouted everything out. He went on his own. He looked at the, like what was left of the wall in the middle of the night. And he calls people up and he says, look, you see the trouble we're in. How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. This is like textbook, guys. When you look at what Nehemiah is doing, he's like laying the problem. He's giving a solution. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem so we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also of the words that the king had spoken. And they said, let us rise up and build. Nehemiah tells them everything that God had already done. 
Guys, if, you, if you're doing these steps, and you're like, this is what God wants me to step out on faith and do, tell people. Tell people so they can join you. Or you might be on the other side. Maybe other people are stepping out, and they're going to tell you, I'm going to tell you some stuff I'm doing in a second. And I'm going to ask some of you to join me. God has been doing stuff. When I was younger, and I was searching for God's will... I would go, like, on a mission trip. I'd be like, man, this is where God wants me. And then I'd go over here and be like, man, this is where God wants me. Right? And it's like everywhere I went that God was working, I wanted to be there. Because all those things are good. If you see, if you know where God's working, jump on. Jump on that train. It's fine. So he said, so he tells them, he tells them what's up, and they say, let us rise up and build. And then we see... That I, I think they went to the gym because it says, so they strengthened their hands for the good work. So they're like, all right, so if we're going to build the wall, we're going to we're gonna have to work out a little bit first. We're going to have to get ready. And then they got to work. They strengthened their hands. Some people went against them, we see, in a couple of verses after that. Expect that. If you're doing God's work, people are not going to like it. You don't have to listen to them. Just keep doing what you're supposed to do. Just keep doing what you're supposed to do. So care about what God cares about. Respond with prayer and fasting. Use your position. And then ask people to join you or join in with other people when they ask you. So you see what I'm saying? It's not necessarily like, God wants me to do exactly this. Because circumstances change and context changes. But if God's working, then you should jump in with that. You should jump in with that. That's why it's such a privilege, and I mean that, to be at the brook. Because you know that God's working here. You know that God's working here. You see lives being changed. You see relationships being restored. You see people being redeemed. And it's a privilege to be a part of that. So let me share with you something that's going on in my life as a real-life example. Um, Several of you know that I have accepted a position to be a principal at Midwestern Christian Academy High School campus. Brand new high school in Portage Park. And... Some of you know that that was a huge step of faith. Man, I pushed back on that for a long time. I think, I mean, I think it's partly Joanne's fault. She was kind of praying me into the position. Because she kind of does that. Um, She does, right? So, I'm grateful for that. But it, it had been over a year that people started talking to me about this position. And so, I was like, no. Like, the first, I'm just, no. Right? And, but over time, God just kept bringing it up. And I went for an interview, uh, or like a, meet, like a pre-meeting, like I'm not committing myself, I want to figure out what this is about before I even think about it. And I walked back and I told Kim, I said, listen, she was like, how'd it go? Okay, well, it makes no sense financially, zero. It makes no sense from a career standpoint. Zero. So how come I can't stop thinking about it? 
right? How come I can't stop thinking about it? So I just jumped in. And, of course, Kim said, no, this is what we have to do. So we started praying and fasting. So we saw where God was working. God's been at that school. That school's been open for over 60 years. They have, their enrollment has jumped by about uh, 50% in the past four years, while other Christian schools are closing, right? I met with the pastor. What a generous and gracious man that is sharing the gospel with his neighborhood. So I knew that God was working there. And so we began praying and fasting. And we were like, okay, we need a space. Like, if we're going to have a high school, we've got to be somewhere, right? Unless we're going to be blended learning and just be online. And so there was a space right next door. And it was like, amen, God answers prayer. And they were like, we'll give you two rooms. And I was like, oh, no. That's not going to work. So we thought we had a space. It's gone. So I, I, I emailed the school board. This is, this is true. I emailed the school board, and I didn't really know them well at that time. And I said, um, we need to fast. We need to fast about this. And, you know, sometimes fasting takes a long time. Okay? But the next day, two churches called us and said, would you like to be in our space next year? Two. It's like, oh, we get to choose now. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> right? It doesn't always happen like that, but God has been showing up big time with this school. We're having families come in that they come in for open house, and they come in, and you can tell that they're broken. And God has, has spaced out the open houses in a way that a family will come in, and there's nobody else there at that time. And what do we do is... We just stop and we just pray over that family. Like, we need some grace. It's been a rough year. My child's rebelling. Like, bring them here. We got enough grace for everybody because we're just getting from God's storehouse. Right? We want to just offer you some grace. And um, mom walked out and she said, this was where I was supposed to be tonight. Right? I was on the bus unfortunately. I hate riding the bus. But I was on it because I had a meeting downtown, and so I, I was on the 152 going back to the house, and it was the afternoon, and we stopped at Schur's and picked up some kids at Schur's. And these two boys got on the bus, okay? So I'm standing there. I'm like, just ready to be home. Like, I'm like, I was in a place where I was about to miss what God was about to do. You know what I'm talking about? Like, if you're taking the bus, it's because God wants you to take the bus, okay? And there's people on the bus, and they ain't going anywhere. So these two boys got on from Shirts, and one of the boys says to the other one, I'm telling you, you have to give your life to Jesus. I was like, oh. (laughs) He was like, listen, I was angry before, and now I'm filled with joy. You better come to youth group with me. And I was like, boy's like okay okay and I'm like no listen I agree with him (laughs) I agree with him and the kid looks up at me like we're like kind of tag teaming this guy and the other kid said are you a Christian I said yes I am brother keep keep doing what you're doing and so they talked for a little bit and I uh 
It's like, you know what? I gave him a card for the school. I had one in my bag. I said, hey, I want to give you this card. He said, what? A Christian high school? He's like, man, I'm graduating. He's like, you know what, though? I'm going to give this. I know somebody that just became a Christian, and they, want to, they don't want to be in this school anymore. And I'm going to give it to them. So I'm about to get off the bus, and he looks around, and he says, hey, I'm going to Bible college next year. So when I get done, I'm going to come look for a job, okay? I said, brother, you got one. That's exactly what I need. All right, you ready? I shared that story at Midwest Bible Church two weeks ago. And a, this is unbelievable. A teacher from Shures comes to me that goes to Midwest Bible. A teacher from Shures comes to me after service and says, I know that boy. And she told me his name. She said, when he was a sophomore, he made me doubt my Christianity, how bad he was. He would curse me out. He would curse everybody out. He was angry all the time. And she's the um, leader of the Christian club at Shures. She said, and he came to me the beginning of his junior year and said, hey, Miss Wendy, I'm a different person. I've accepted Christ. And she said that she goes in the lunchroom and he is going from table to table telling people about Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? And I was just in awe of that God moment that meeting these two guys on the bus. Like, what are the chances? Only God could orchestrate that. And then that I'm speaking in three days at the church where his teacher goes. And I just sent her back to the school. I said, give TJ, just tell him that you saw me. His, his, his mind's going to be blown. Tell him you saw me. Hey, you remember that guy on the bus that gave you that card? I, I'll talk to him. And while I'm at it, pray for TJ, right? Man. Wow. Guys, those kind of stories have been happening to me like two or three times a week. I'm telling you. I was interviewing somebody at a Starbucks for a position, and we got done with the interview, and the person next to me says, I'm sorry, were you guys talking about a Christian high school? Because I'm the guardian for my brother, and I think he needs to go there. And the person I was interviewing was like amazed, and I'm like, I'm telling you. Like, it's happening all the time. It's really, really incredible. So, what my plea to you is, God's doing some stuff with us at MCA High School. Okay? If you haven't figured out what you need to do, where you can find God's purpose in your life, let me know. I got some ideas. Do we have that uh, slide? This Saturday, we're going to do a prayers and postcards day in, uh, at the high school campus, which is at Menard and Dakin. I have 2,500 postcards, and we're just going to cover that neighborhood in prayer and postcards. Okay? If you're interested in helping, you don't have to send your kid there. If you want to help come and pass out the postcards, and you're like, man, God's doing something there, I think I'd like to be a, a small part of that. Then come on, let's go. You can jump in with us there. Okay, just meet us there at 2 o'clock. I think all the information's on social media. I think Pastor Eric posted it and everything, okay? Wow, God's doing some stuff. But God's doing, might be working in some other ways in your life. 
And maybe you're like, man, I, don't, I just don't know if I should do it. Do it. If you know that there's a need there based on who God is, you've prayed and fasted about it, right? It fits with where you are in life as far as your position. Then try it. Do it. And encourage others to step alongside you. God wants us to follow him in the mundane things in life, okay? But he also wants us to step out in faith for some extraordinary things in life also. And maybe you're like, man, you have some interesting stories. Listen, this is all God. This is not Jeremy. This is all God. And if you have not, are not following Jesus, I'm telling you, it's an exciting, crazy journey of faith. And I invite you today to join in on that journey. You're going to have a chance to respond. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. You're going to have a chance to respond to that. However you see fit, however God is leading you. I know that He is because we opened His Word. We opened His Word and we shared it. And so the Bible says that when you, the Word of God is shared, that it will not return empty. So I know that the Holy Spirit is working in hearts. I know that He is. From the very beginning, opening that Tony gave us, that God will direct your paths to all this in Nehemiah. What is God doing in your heart? Would you stand with me and we'll pray. Hmm. Father, I pray that your spirit would do something that only your spirit can do. And that is change people's lives. My words will not change anybody's life. Only your spirit moving in us will do that. Father, I trust your promise that your word will not return empty. And so on that promise, I know that you are speaking to people about something in their life. Some people here need to take a step out in faith and do something that might seem a little crazy, a little bold, but they know there's a need, they fasted and prayed on it, they have a position, and this is what they need to do. Father, some people in here, maybe they haven't even started that journey. Maybe they've accepted you as their Savior, but they don't know what that looks like to find your will in their life. So, Father, I pray that you would begin stirring in their hearts. Help them to pray and fast over that so that they can know how they can fit in your plan of redemption because ultimately it's just about your plan of redemption. That's it. So, Father, we just want to be a part. We're honored that you would let us be a part of your plan of redemption. You don't need us. You choose to use us. Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for what the brook is doing to reach this neighborhood for Christ. So wherever you would have us plug in, Father, I pray that you would make it clear to us, give us peace about it as we take steps of faith to follow you and what it really looks like in this world today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll ask the prayer counselors to come to the front.
the back if you're not already in place. Guys, there are people here that want to pray for you. They've been where you are sitting. They've been through the things that you've been through. And they want to pray for you. So I ask as we sing this last song that you would respond to our Lord as the way the Spirit has led in your life.